I trust that you brought the word with you, and so I want to invite you to turn to James, and we're going to James chapter 3, and we're going to be looking uh, actually where we were last last Sunday, because I believe there's just so much so much there that we, we, uh, we couldn't unpack everything last Sunday, and so we're going to continue this Sunday looking at James chapter 3, and we'll be reading, or yeah, chapter 3, looking at verse 13 down through verse 18 in, in just a few moments. Uh, before I, I read the word, though, I, I want to begin with just a fun, just a fun little story. One day, an old man was casually walking along a country lane with his dog and his mule. Suddenly, a speeding pickup truck careened around the corner, knocking the man, his mule and his dog into the ditch. OK, you got the picture? The old man decided to sue the driver of the truck, seeking to recoup the cost of the damages. While the old man was on the stand, the counsel for the defense cross-examined the man by asking a simple question. Quote, I want you to answer yes or no to the following question. Did you or did you not say at the time of the accident that you were perfectly fine? And the man said, well, me and my dog and my mule were walking along the road. And the counsel for defense said, stop, stop. I asked you, tell me yes or no. Tell me yes or no. Did you say you were perfectly fine at the time of the accident? Well, me and my dog and my mule were walking along the road. The defense attorney appealed to the judge. Your honor, he said, the man is not answering the question. Would you please insist that he answer the question? The judge said, well, he obviously wants to tell us something. Let him speak. So the man said, well, me and my dog and my mule were walking along the road. And this truck came around the corner uh, so fast, really too fast. And he knocked us into the ditch. The driver stopped, got out of his truck, saw my dog was badly injured, went back to his truck, got his rifle, and he shot it. And then he saw that my mule had a broken leg, so he shot it. And then he looked at me, he said, how are you doing? I said, I'm perfectly fine, I'm perfectly fine. <laughs> I love that, I love that. And uh, for me, I think one of the hardest things, you know, and maybe it's just me, maybe I'm standing all alone here, but... For me, if I am a wisdom hunter, that's what we're talking about. We're seeking wisdom. For me, it's learning how to listen. I mean, it's been a lifelong journey, you know, for me trying to, you know, really, really listen to people. And of course, this judge, he was wise in saying, you know, okay, let's listen to the whole story. But I don't know about you, but to be a wisdom hunter, we need to understand that listening is a part of the process. Now, I understand there are a lot of seasons in life and there's a season to laugh and a a season to cry and a season to, you know, work hard, a season to have fun. There's a a season to live, the scripture says, and a season to die. Well, I will never forget that season in life that God gave me to learn how to be a a good listener. I was pastor in my first church and I I met a man by the name of Dr. Ponder Gilliland. Uh, He was one of the presidents of one of our universities. How many know Dr. Ponder Gilliland? Anybody remember him at all? But anyhow, uh, he was a a president of one of our universities and he retired and he came to the district where I was pastoring my first church. And uh, I heard him speak a few times and and man, he was just one of those guys that when he spoke, You know, the whole room just kind of turned quiet. Everybody wanted to hear what he had to say, you know. You know, that kind of person that just when he speaks, you know, he just drips with wisdom. And I I wanted to spend time with him and I asked him to be my mentor. And so he mentored me and we spent time together. And it was a a super good experience because uh, it was a time in my life that I realized 
that I needed to learn how to listen. And so I believe that learning how to listen has a lot to do with becoming a wisdom hunter. Just bear with me here. Now let's go to the passage here. We, uh, we want to start there in verse 13. Again, James chapter 3, looking at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, pause for a moment. Let's just kind of dwell on that question for a minute. The idea that there are those that are wise and understanding among us. And if you were to think of somebody that was wise and understanding, get somebody in your mind right now that you're thinking that, you know, like I mentioned, Dr. Potter Gillen, somebody that, you know, that is wise and understanding. And I bet that if you think of that person, that you would agree with the fact that they are probably good listeners. And so we're starting, you know, kind of in that vein this morning that. To, to be wise, we have to know how to listen. Continue to read. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have seen envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and then peace-loving. And I'm thinking about that idea of peace-loving. I mean, what does it mean to be peace-loving? Or what does it mean to create peace, you know, in the family in which I live? You know, and the friends that I have and, and, and those that, you know, that I spend a lot of time with. Am I the kind of person that creates you know, a spirit of peace. And do I create a spirit of harmony? I think it's a good question to ask ourselves if we're seeking wisdom that are we the kind of person that creates this, this spirit of peace? And maybe it's the kind of template that we'd rest and put down over our congregation because we understand in a congregation there are many different, you know, mindsets. There are many different ideas of what we think church is or maybe even theology. And so we could ask the question as we lay this over our congregation, are we the congregation that is peace loving? The congregation that, that, that seeks the presence and and, and the, the will of God, are we considerate and submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere? And then in verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word this morning. I thank you, Father, for directing our heart and our mind towards you. And I, I know, Lord, that there, there are a lot of distractions in this life. And Lord, our precious choir here just asked us to think upon and ponder the idea of what real peace means. What happens, Lord, in our heart when we experience that peace, a spiritual peace that, that only comes from you and not this world. And so, Father, I pray for that one. Maybe there's somebody here today that's come into the sanctuary and there's some anxiety and they need peace. I pray that you would settle that spirit. I pray that you would settle that one individual this morning that maybe they're really frustrated. Maybe there's even anger present. I pray, Lord, that your peace would would just drape over them, Lord Jesus, and just give them peace. We thank you for that. We thank you for your holy presence this morning. I pray, Lord, that you'll be glorified in everything that's said and done. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now. Remember last week as we jumped into the passage, we said that there were really two types of wisdom that the, the scripture gives us. One is wisdom from above. 
And we remember that. But there is the second type that obviously is alluded to here. And what is the second type? It's, it's worldly wisdom. That's right. It's worldly wisdom. I think we often seek wisdom after we've dug a hole. <laughs> you know, after, you know, we get, get ourselves into a situation or in a place where we're wondering what in the world is happening to us. Why did I do this? Why did I make these kinds of decisions? And so we've kind of dug this hole and we ignored, you know, the bells ringing in our head or the voice in our head that is saying, this is probably not a good idea. It's kind of like what happened to me a few years ago. I was standing over the commode looking at my cell phone and I had the bells going off that maybe it was not a good idea to stand over the commode while I was holding my cell phone. And sure enough, I had to buy a new cell phone. And so I'm ignoring the noises, you know, the bells in my head. I didn't say the voices in my head, but the bells in my head. And so we get this idea that, that God is speaking. He is and he, he's given us this conscience that he speaks through and works with us on. But that, compared to what the scripture has to say, you know, really brings us to what we could conclude as as truth. In fact, look at the passage. Go to verse 13. We begin to read there, who is wise among you. So this this tells us that wisdom can be seen because of the questions being asked. Who is wise among you? Then we can identify that. We can see those that are wise, that are following a path of wisdom. And then even more, we could say that it identifies the type of wisdom, whether this is worldly wisdom or, of course, wisdom that is from above. And then then it says it like this, wise and understanding. I underline the word and, wise and understanding. And really, it's these two terms that are standing together in the undeniable ingredient of what is wise. So with wisdom, there is understanding. And then we go to the end of the passage. If we have wisdom and then we gain understanding at the end of the passage, what do we see there? We see there is then righteousness. It's the righteousness of God that we begin to, you know, embrace and that we understand. And we we realize that God is speaking to us and working in us. And he is growing us to be more like he has called us to be. Amen. So we have understanding. And understanding comes from what? You remember the interview from last Sunday? I interviewed several people at the airport. I talked about those interviews. And, and, and what we learned is the older that they were, maybe the more wisdom that they had, the more understanding. Why? Because of experience. Amen. And so we're just kind of following the line here that there is wisdom and there is understanding, which leads to righteousness. And then, of course, there is the experience. We, we Proverbs sixteen thirty one. We read there. Remember the phrase, "Gray hair is a crown of splendor." Now, a little commentary: Gray hair can be the crown of one's glory. And in the early service, we had a lot of glory in that service. Okay, and not so much in this service. But but it's more than just gray hair. I mean, I I had a, a fellow we knew in, in high school. I mean, his hair turned gray at nineteen years, eighteen years of age. So it's it's more than that. It's this this idea that is understanding that leads us to the righteousness of God and knowing the righteousness of God. Then we reflect on a life that has no regrets. Now, now we look at this in the context of wisdom, because that's that's what we're we're talking about wisdom. And certainly old age can be the reward of life. And there's understanding wisdom comes with that. But there is something that no matter what your age is here that the scripture gives us that we can obtain, that we can experience. And that's that's not necessarily worldly wisdom, but it's wisdom that comes from above. Now, worldly wisdom is is usually not humble. 
Worldly wisdom is, is, is usually about self. And it's usually that, that wisdom that comes from within. And I know that sounds kind of authentic. I mean, almost even organic that the fact that, you know, this is what we feel, what has come from within. But you see, in this passage, we recognize that that's not the wisdom that we are being challenged to pursue. We are being challenged to pursue wisdom that is from above. In fact, wisdom that comes from, you know, the world or worldly wisdom may lead to success, but it oftentimes leaves us feeling empty. It often is one step from what the scripture says, ungodliness. And even the passage here uses a stronger word, and the word is demonic. If it's worldly wisdom and the warning sign is this this pain that is caused or maybe even this violence. It's this towards oneself. If we pursue this this worldly wisdom. Now, there's one phrase I'd like you to remember today. If, if, if there was one phrase, this is the phrase. And I underlined it. Here it is. Worldly wisdom rarely breaks the destructive cycles we live in. Let me say that again. Worldly wisdom rarely breaks the destructive cycles we live in. You see, in those cycles that we live in, or whether it's a sequence of bad decisions that we make, remember, we're talking about wisdom. Sometimes we are caught in a cycle that we realize that the only answer can come from outside of ourselves. And outside help today, of course, is the help that God gives us. I love this example. It's a very good sample. Um, in regards to, you know, trying to make better or newer decisions. When something is wrong with our body, we have to do something about it. I mean, if we're sick, obviously, if there's something wrong with our body, we have sickness or disease, we have to do something about it. And so the body does have a defense. It's called an immune system. It's a very complex system that protects us. And in fact, the immune system, if you speak to some doctors and we have some doctors here in the church, they would tell you that the immune system is a very it's it's a very silent wonder that that is remarkable. And in fact, I, I want to share with you how one doctor explains it. He explains the immune system as something like a castle. He says the first line of defense is a moat and a drawbridge. And the first line of defense in our bodies are physical and chemical barriers, our skin, our stomach acids, our, our mucus, our tears. And then he describes the second line of defense as sentries and archers who stand on the castle walls. Specific immune responses. This line of defense also includes fever and inflammatory responses, nonspecific defenses. And then he defines the third line of defense are those soldiers that's within the castle. And that's our third line of defense, which is specific human responses uh, or immune responses with uh, T cells and B cells. And there are many types of each which work like a close-knit team to destroy the pathogens that sometimes invade our body. Now, sometimes, you see, even though that we have this remarkable complex system called the immune system, sometimes we need outside help. And hence, you know, we use antibiotics. The doctor defines this. He says, uh, first antibiotic is a bactericidal antibiotic that kills the bacteria. The second antibiotic is a bacterial static that stops bacteria from multiplying. So I, I'm, I am saying something. Here's the point. The destructive cycle of the infection or disease has to be stopped. I mean, think about that for a moment. 
You see, the silliness is the opposite of wisdom is hoping for different results in life or a different life while not stopping the unwise behavior or the bad decision making and expecting that there's going to be different outcomes and we continue the way that we've always lived. Amen. And subsequent to this, when you make decisions based on human rationale instead of divine revelation, you cause Others to have to endure the consequences because of the decisions that you've made. I, I last Sunday I I was talking about a story how the Lord laid something upon our heart and impressed a decision upon our heart that it was illogical. It made no human sense. I mean, it was probably not wise according to worldly wisdom. But man, because the Lord used that and we made that decision that that the blessings of heaven came down and somebody's life was blessed and absolutely turned around. Sometimes it may not make sense what God is speaking to you and asking you to do in, in the very center of your heart or in your, the conscience of your mind. I believe that. I, I'm moved by the story of a man from Bethlehem. And maybe you remember the story of Elimelech. He moves his family from, from Bethlehem to Moab. And, and in fact, we read there in Ruth, it's from the book of Ruth, we read about the story. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Milan and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, to understand the story, okay, so he uproots his family, moves from a place that was familiar to a place that was very unfamiliar. And to understand it, we need to understand the timeline just a little bit here. It's it's the time of the judges, the people of God. It was the time when the people of God relied on two things. First, they relied on God. Why? Because they were people of God. So people of God relied on God. And the second thing about them is they were accustomed to the village life. So they relied on each other. So there's there is this this support system that was present. And and so here's this guy. He decides to move his family from a place that was familiar to a place that was unfamiliar. There's kind of an illusion there that or, or somebody alludes to the idea that maybe there was a famine that caused them to move. There, there was another commentary that said possibly the, the children were sickly. And they had to move the children, you know, to a different climate. I mean, there's no support for that. No evidence of that. But there is evidence that the the Midianites, of which a large group had settled in Moab, had been harassing and pillaging the Israelites for some years. So it makes no sense what Imelot does. And as we just read this passage, we see that many people in his family die. So notice the consequences that were incurred by people other than Elimelech. Milan and Chilean lost their lives. Ruth and Orpah lost their husbands. And Naomi lost both her husband and her sons. Elimelech's bad decision had consequences that affected not only himself, but also those he loves. So the point in the story is a person does not make decisions in a vacuum. And more pointed, a person does not commit sin in a vacuum. And those decisions that we make and those actions that we take affect those that are around us, the loved ones around us, sometimes to a depth and a degree that that, that we haven't even thought through or can't even imagine. I think of the biblical biblical examples of, of David's sin 
that affected Bathsheba and her husband Uriah, and he loses his life, and not to mention the innocent, innocent child, and then Abraham's sin that affected Sarah, and, and how about how about uh, Adam and and the fall of mankind that has affected every person that's been born or ever will be born because of that sin that Adam committed, and now bringing that into this century or into this this modern age, we remember the terrorists on September 11th, 2001. When those gigantic planes flew into the Twin Towers and it was a sin that was felt all across America and not only that, but around the globe. Sociologists have written that it has not only affected America, but it's impacted and affected an entire generation. So the statement is this. Worldly wisdom will fail us. Worldly wisdom will fail us. How many believe that this morning as we think about the wisdom that is from above? I mean, wisdom seekers, wisdom hunters are seeking the kind of wisdom that says, Lord, I'm listening. Lord, I'm waiting to hear from you. And Lord, I want to overcome my passions that lead me away from you. Lord, I I, I want to not just manage my life. I want to be the one that manages life and the one that created life. You see, wisdom seekers will seek the wisdom that comes from above. It's wisdom seekers and wisdom hunters that have a Christ-centric life and not a life that is self-centered, but a life that's centered on Jesus Christ. Amen. When you're a wisdom hunter, I love this word, when you're a wisdom hunter, you become an activist. You become an activist in pleasing God, an activist in sharing Jesus, an activist of of living the life and, and living in a way that glorifies God. Amen. That's what it means when you become a wisdom hunter. And so you see the message, it really takes us back, not to worldly wisdom, but wisdom that is from above. I love this statement, the way C.S. Lewis pens this. Listen to this. He pens this. He writes this. Don't let happiness depend on something that you can lose. Don't let happiness depend on something you can lose. I don't know what the Lord is saying to you today, this morning. But I believe that God wants to give you wisdom. Maybe you're trying to make a decision right now in life. And maybe, maybe you're just in a difficult time and you're saying, Lord, I need, I need your wisdom. I need you, Father. I need you to help me and direct me this morning. And I love how this was prefaced with the song of peace. Because God wants to bring you peace that passes human understanding. He wants to give you his wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above. And I want to invite you to just receive that right now. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's do that together. Bow our heads and close our eyes. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the fact that you are a God of great wisdom and that you pour your wisdom out willingly on those that will seek her and those that want to find her. And so, Lord, I pray with our heads bowed, eyes closed, and, and we're hearing not the voice of maybe even the pastor, but we're hearing your voice. I pray that you'd bring wisdom to the one right now that's just trying to make a decision. I pray that you give wisdom, that your wisdom would pour out upon that family right now that's just going through possibly a real change in life. I pray, Lord, that we will hear your voice, not all the other voices clamoring for attention, but, Father, that we might be able to push all those voices aside and that we would hear only your voice, Jesus, and that you'll be glorified as we seek your wisdom. We seek your will, your perfect way, Lord. And so we pray that right now with our heads bowed. We're saying, Lord, just give us your wisdom. We seek you, Jesus. 
We want to worship you, Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen.